Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Acts. And we'll be in chapter 20, looking at verses 17 through 38. The book of Acts, chapter 20. Just a bit of context of, of what's going on here. Uh, Paul has, has spent three years working in Ephesus, and he loves the church in Ephesus. He, he's poured his, his heart out to them. He's, he's endured much trial and, and hardship, and he did it all with joy because he loved them. And, and he lived to preach to them the gospel. That was his great joy. But a riot had come up and had forced him out. And so he flees to, to Macedonia and Greece. And he's there for a, a short while whenever it becomes quite apparent, though, that he's not going back to Ephesus. He calls for the elders at the church of Ephesus to come in order that he can break to them the news. The Lord has called them elsewhere. And they're heartbroken. But they understand that this is the Lord's will. And so Paul lays before them. He says, this, this is the, the work of the Spirit to move me to my next call. And it's the work of the Spirit to move your, you, O church of Ephesus, to do the same. But really what Paul's giving us here today, Paul is really giving us a call and an exhortation to a church in transition. We're about to take up and read, but before we do, let us ask for the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. Our God and Father, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord, to all generations. Great is your faithfulness to your people time and time again. Great is your faithfulness to feed your sheep, O Lord. And so today we pray, O Lord, feed us with a hunger. Feed us with a hunger for you and a hunger for your glory. Feed us with a longing to see Christ glorified, seated on his throne, ruling over all things. Feed us with a hunger to preach the gospel always. And now, O Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of our Lord from Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of all blood, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. They would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul lays before us this reality. That Christ our King calls his people to be faithful. And the first call that he really gives us is a call to gospel centeredness. See this really in verses 17 through or 18 through 27 is, is really the heart of what Paul is getting at here. And, and notice what he says. He just opens up. He says that the whole time I'm with you, what did I do? I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything profitable and teaching you. But what did he teach them? This is what he taught. Repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, the great theologian, the great scholar, spends three years day in, day out, never ceasing from this one reality to declare and to teach repentance and faith. There's a boldness there in his simplicity. I've come to do one thing. 
I want you to know the grace of the Lord Jesus. That's what I'm here to do. The core of Paul's ministry is a gospel centrality. And he never shrinks from that. One of the great temptations that we will certainly experience in our time of transition is the temptation to get sidetracked. That doesn't matter if you've had uh, the same senior pastor for 50 years or if you're looking for one now. There's always a temptation to be sidetracked by anything other than the gospel. There's really this longing even, you know, sometimes to, well, yes, we've, we've heard the story. We know the story again and again and again. And sometimes even, you know, the, the temptation is to get sidetracked by, by good things, even sometimes biblical things, but things that, that aren't at the core. One of the ways that churches quickly go awry is when the center of the church is anything other than the gospel. That's a church that all too often turns in on itself. It turns in and it bashes each other with things apart from what the Lord has called us to, to be our very center, this reality of his gospel, which we must proclaim. But notice, what does this even look like? Paul lays out for this, and it is glorious. Verse 24, he says this, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. To do this, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. There's this glorious emphaticness there. He, the, the word, you know, he could say really in, in one word in Greek, uh, what have I been called to do to proclaim the gospel? But he doesn't just say that. He pauses. He, he uses so many different words and pictures to paint the seriousness of what's going on. He, he says that he has come to testify to the gospel. The word uh, to testify is is seeking to convey to the hearer a seriousness, a, a weightiness of what you're about to tell them. And what is he seeking earnestly, seriously to tell them? The gospel, which always implies heralding with it. And so the, the whole message is, is, is really that of, of the herald who goes before the king, but it's even more serious than that. He's going before the king to say, the king comes, ruling and reigning, but in an even deeper weightiness. But what is the seriousness that he's seeking to convey? The good news of the grace of God. There's a grave, weighty seriousness to what he's saying, and yet there's this ecstatic joy. God is gracious. Look at what Paul's life is based on. He's, he's telling us this one reality, that everything is an utter waste. Nothing matters if I don't proclaim this one truth. God is gracious. If my lips utter anything else, it was a waste. If I spend my life on anything else, 
It was for naught. Because there's one thing that's worthy of telling the grace of God. How convicting. I read that and I feel the, the weight of Paul's life and I feel so much like Creed Bratton from The Office. He gets to the end of the series, right? And you've, you, you're invested now in his quirky character. And at the very end, he says this, I must scuba. If I can't scuba, then what was all this even about? I've spent my life like Creed Bratton. With something as vain and flippant and silly as scuba. Brothers and sisters, oh church, there is one thing worth giving everything for. There's one thing worth pouring out until we have no breath left to proclaim, giving every resource this church possibly has, and it is this, that God is gracious. But some might say, well, that'll get old. Shouldn't we move past the elementary things of the faith? And I would say that you were right, except you're not. See what Paul has done. he's, He's going after this one thing, the grace of God, but then in verse 27, he, he bookends this to say, I never shrank back from declaring the whole counsel of God. Some could come to this text and say that Paul is the first gospel-centered preacher, and they would also be wrong. Paul's not doing anything revolutionary by having his centeredness be on the gospel. What Paul is doing, who knows his Bible far better than you and I do, he's actually just preaching the Bible. Paul is gospel-centered because the Bible is gospel-centered. The whole thing, and we of all people should know that. One of our One of our roots is covenant theology, which from cover to cover says that the story of God is is this, that the great and holy God, creator of all things, comes to us and saves us. He doesn't come to Abraham and say, I'll split the animals, but you walk through. He says, you split the animals, and I'll walk through. He doesn't call us to come and do. He says, I will do. He doesn't say, make a good enough seed to crush the head of the serpent. He says, I'll do that. He doesn't say, give me your son. He says, I'll give mine. It's the story of the whole Bible, and that's the core of Paul's ministry. Here's what he's done. Paul gives the whole gospel to the whole person by giving the whole Bible to the whole of life. That's our call too. Stay the center. The gospel is our core. But Paul also calls us to caution. Early verses 29 through 31. And the first thing that he says is, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. It's naive for us to think that we're any different. 
it would be naive for us to think that everything will be great because our theology should tell us we're all sinners. There will be those who seek to come and to pull us off the center because of this one reality. A gospel-centered ministry in the eyes of everyone is a ministry of weakness. It's a cross-driven ministry. It's, it's foolishness to the world. It says, come here and die that the world might see Christ. But not only does Paul tell us that, he, he, he even focuses on them. He, he says, watch yourselves. Verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. We're all tempted to make ourselves the center of the show, aren't we? We've seen, to coin a popular phrase now, the rise and fall of many church leaders who've grown to prominence and utterly collapsed. Why? Because it was about them and not Jesus. And I would love to point my finger at them and say, what fools. But I'm a fool too. I have the same kind of heart. We all do. It's a fearful thing. That that's our draw to come and to make us greater than Jesus. Oh, church, may we never. But Paul does give a solution. He, he tells us how to be cautious. Verse 31. Therefore, be alert. Remembering for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul spends so much of his ministry weeping, begging earnestly from the scriptures, saying, Remember the core. Remember the center. The gospel's the center. You're not the center. One thing that I think, though, we, we have to take into account is that a gospel-centered church is not a conflict-free church. A, a gospel-centered church is a tear-saturated church which drives each other in prayer and in word and in deed to Jesus and his cross and his gospel. That's what a gospel-centered church is that longs to see the body built up, and this is the antibody of the church, a gospel-centered resolution church. That's a crushing weight, though, isn't it? Paul looking at us and saying, be on guard, be alert. Admonish one another. Hold the sinner. It keeps me up at night. It'll crush anybody. Because I'm not omniscient. I'm not omnipresent. I'm not strong. No one else is either in this room. But thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us there. He calls us to confidence. And so often the bookends of caution and the kingdom of God are always confident. See what he says in verse 28. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The church that he obtained with his own blood. One thing we have to see that in a place like this with really old pews that are not super comfortable and maybe not really all that sturdy. Sorry if that has offset you, pun intended. Um, and yet it's here, it's this church, that in the entirety of the universe, the people of God are the most glorious thing in all of creation. Not just because of, of who we are, but, but because we've been purchased at the highest cost. We've been lavished with the greatest love the universe has ever known. The very creator himself, infinite and all-knowing, decided to display his love in this way. To redeem for himself a people. There's a surety there. That if that God is so blood earnest in redeeming his people, he will not fail in bringing them home. And it's precisely on that grounds that Paul is able to then follow this up with verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's here that Paul recognizes the truth, doesn't he? That God loves the church more than Paul does. That in the grand scheme of things, for the health of the church, the Lord didn't need Paul. Paul was just the under-shepherd. He, he, he was the steward and the servant of the mysteries of God and the means of grace. But it's the good shepherd. The good shepherd who is always there. Who gives his church good gifts and good shepherds, but is always there to oversee. Is always there to feed. Is always there to lavish on his people the great love with which he has for us. But that's just it, isn't it? That loss in the church really does hurt. This is what Paul really calls us to at the very end. He calls us to cry. Verses 36 through 38. They're there with Paul, and they're weeping. It's something we could expect, though, couldn't it? In a gospel-centered Christ-centered church, what happens there? Love happens. It's one of the grand mysteries that happens here that we all too often overlook. That here, now, in this place, miraculous things happen. That Christ the King, by His Spirit, binds our very hearts together. 
He has made us one. That's why he can call us his body. And when someone leaves, it hurts. There's an amputation that seems to take place. But in the midst of this loss, there is a blessed sorrow in this reality that this sort of sorrow really does point beyond itself. There's something about the feeling of loss, especially within the church, that says, this is wrong. It shouldn't feel this way. This is as foreign as death. My heart will not let this go, that we should all be unified and all be together. C.S. Lewis has that, that wonderful and famous quote. If you find yourself longing for something that this world cannot satisfy, the only logical conclusion is that you were made for another world. May I commend to you this? That your longings are not telling you a story or a myth or a lie. They're actually telling you the truth. Maybe it's our cynicism that's lying to us. Because here's the glorious truth especially here in this place, this glorious truth that there is a greater fellowship, isn't there? There's a greater fellowship around a table where the body is once and for all bound together. No more loss. Once with Christ forever. But as we sojourn in this life, we do experience loss. Cry and lament is good and necessary. But we must remember. Remember the one who turns our weeping into laughter and our mourning into dance. Oh, church, it really has been grace that has brought us safe this far. And it really will be grace that will lead us home. Let us go to the Lord now in prayer. Oh Lord, we come now as your people, longing for the day where the whole multitude people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, age to age, bound together, seated with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Lord, how we long for that day. Long for the day where we must no longer be alert, where we don't have to look for wolves, where we don't have to watch our own hearts. But, oh, Lord, the day where we look and see Christ's face. But until that day, feed us, oh, God. Give us wisdom. Give us unction. Give us strength carry on in our sojourning to walk a little bit further 
but most of all, Lord, give us grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.